0: Your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to
1: another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand for Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday june 25th 2023 and it is the night of forbidden door forbidden door has not happened yet it will happen tonight i hope that i leave the building tonight in a good mood i heard last week though after this podcast that one of the two of you chris gullo or jesse Collins, one of the two of you left this podcast in a bad
2: mood chris gullo can can you confirm that uh, the, the, that was not me. If it was me, I would have confronted you, Brandon. If well, by them.
1: process of elimination, that leaves only Jesse Collings, who, who must have left last week's podcast in a bad mood.
3: Is that true? Not only did I leave the podcast in a bad mood, like the first thing I did was tell some of my other friends in wrestling media that I was in a bad mood. Yes.
1: Okay. Well, that, well, that, that settles that. Um, and we are. Okay. So I'm going to record this. It's like, it's obviously we're, doing this for people watching live. I'm going to record this. I'm going to edit this. And then I'm going to drive to Toronto. And uh, I'm going to try to make an appearance at the Forbidden Poor, which is um, just across the venue, being hosted by Post Wrestling and Poison Rana. Um, And this is, in fact, the last time that Wrestleomics Radio will be heard on the Post Wrestling podcast feed. Um, And because starting July 9th so this is this is this is June June 25th and this is free for everybody on all channels but uh, next week it will still be free because that's going to be the first podcast of the month it'll be July 2nd and it'll this podcast Wrestleonomics radio will still be free on the Wrestleonomics radio podcast feed and the WrestleNomics Radio YouTube channel. But then starting July 9th, the only way to listen to this podcast every single week is to be a subscriber uh, at patreon.com slash or if you prefer, WrestleNomics.com slash subscribe. Uh, and so this will be every week. It will be free. It will not be free. Every week it will be on the WrestleNomics Patreon audio feed. For audio only, just like you you listen to other stuff. If you're a subscriber, you have your own podcast feed as part of the Patreon. And it will be available as a video, too. We'll make it like an unlisted link. So you'll still be seeing the video every week, if that's what you want to see. Um, and it will be free once a month only. But if you're a subscriber, you also get access to the TV ratings analysis that I do for just about every major wrestling show. The news updates that I've been writing twice a week. The viewership spreadsheet with... Thousands and thousands of data points. The monthly reports that I've been putting out on YouTube, on Google trends, on match counts, you can get access to the slides that are a part of this podcast as well. The Pollock and Thurston podcast will still be free every week on the WrestleMania radio feed, on the post wrestling feed, on the YouTube channels. So that continues to be free every week. Just this last week, we talked to Dave Meltzer just hours after the AW collision rating came out. So that is out there for free for everybody. If you haven't listened to it already today, if you want to participate with the super chat, and have your question or comment read and answered, you are encouraged to do so if you're listening today live on YouTube. So the AEW collision rating came out 0.33. I think I, I should have gone back and wrote down what our predictions were. Do either of you remember what your predictions were for this podcast or for this? Uh, this rate?
2: <laughs> Mine was 0.20. So, yeah, they, they
3: 0.20. Justin, <laughs> what did you predict? If I recall correctly, I think I I I said 775,000 viewers, and I know I said a 0.27.
1: 0.27.
3: Yeah, so I went slightly lower than a typical dynamite.
1: I think I I do have it written down here on this post note, in fact. Um, Yeah, Gold said 0.20. Jesse said 0.27. I said 0.30. We were all low. I was the closest. I mean, I did a, a poll. We got a new poll. We're going to talk about that one. But I did a poll for this episode asking people, what do you, what do you think the rating is going to be? Everybody thought it was going to be way lower than what it was. Um, very small minority thought it was going to be in the range of what it was. 0. 0.33. 0. 0.33. I figured it was probably going to do what a dynamite rating does. This can do in the range of what a dynamite rating does for the first one. Uh, and it did even you know sort of slightly better than that. Although the Dynamite this week did exactly the same, P.T. Forty Nine rating. Number in total
3: 30, view, in, in total viewers, it was a little bit lower than a, uh, a typical Dynamite, but was younger skewing.
1: Right, as it's going to be, I think. You know, this it's going to get lower and it's going to get older. This the the median age was forty five, I believe, which is under what any wrestling show is really doing right now. Um, so the percentage, which is, I mean, when we talk about the we can talk about the percentage of viewers in the demo who are watching as a, as a percentage of all viewers, because obviously the linear TV viewership in general just tends to be older. So we can talk about the percentage of viewers, but that is highly correlated with whatever the median age is. Um, but, but anyway, I mean, that's, that's what we saw early on in Rampage, for sure. I, I don't have median age data for like the early Dynamites, but I'm sure that's what was happening with the early Dynamites. Just the disproportionate. Relative to usual, the disproportionate young viewers who are gathering and tuning in and making sure that they're, they're seeing these early episodes, the stuff that's important, it, it, that's, that's what's really happening for these, I don't know, newsworthy, highly anticipated events. Um, and as things get more run-of-the-mill, the viewership, I expect, will get a lot older. Um, but number three among cable originals, um, outranked by, I believe, what, UFC and the College World Series on ESPN. Um, but this, was a, uh, I have to say this was a, a good rating better than I was expecting. Again, I was, I was expecting, I was predicting a 0.30 and did better than that. Um, again, this is not last night's, this is not the, the second episode of collision, but the very first episode of collision. Um, we have quarter hours here. I don't think there's. Surprises here in the quarter hours. I think there's a slight surprise in that the demo for the promo was lower than the demo for the match. So this show opened with the CM Punk promo talking about one bill fill, counterfeit bucks, and all that stuff. And that did four hundred and forty thousand viewers in the demo. Main event though did four hundred and sixty-eight, four hundred and sixty-seven thousand viewers in the demo. So slightly above. It's not like so I I mean I, I was sort of thinking the promo is gonna be more anticipated than the match. But and, and we did see the inverse in total viewership. For what that's worth, maybe there's a little bit of inheritance for whatever I think it was a movie on right before. Maybe there's a little bit of inheritance of older viewership at the beginning that's sort of distorting that view of the of the uh, the first quarter hour, which did one hundred sixty-eight thousand, and then ended with one hundred thirty-four thousand. So beginning higher in total viewership than than the end. I guess I, what I think when we look at these quarter hours, both in this case and for Dynamite in general, is that the demo is giving us a more honest look at what what the what the interest is in the in these quarter hours you know what i mean like because i think there's more distortions and misleading data in the total viewership which is disproportionately coming from obviously older viewers and and there's there's more external effects that i think are affecting those people including most of most of all the lead in in any case the match had a lot of interest relative to to the promo which is slightly surprising to me any thoughts there
3: yeah, I mean, I agree in the sense of, and, you know, the 18 to 49 number even popping back up for the, you know, Andrade versus Buddy Matthews match and the kind of stuff at the 845 um, quarter is, I don't know if that's interesting, but going from 390, you know, viewers in the uh, 18 to 49 to 441 is pretty sizable for, for that for that quarter hour, right? Usually it's the nine o'clock quarter hour that would tend to go up, but it seems like, I don't know if it's people earlier. Um, the normal kind of tuning into Collision, but I thought that's kind of notable. Um, yeah, I would imagine the promo would be the most interesting aspect of um, CM Punk's return, but obviously people were interested in the match. And I think that, at least from Collision last week, Punk is presented in a way that nobody else in AEW is presented, and it's much more similar to how WWE presents its few like, chosen Talent, whether that's Cody Rhodes or Roman Reigns or Seth Rollins, in the sense of they're going to have two, a minimum of two quarter hours really built around them, right? They're going to come out and they're going to do a promo at the start of the show, and then they're going to be in the main event later tonight. And I think that has been beneficial in establishing those names as big stars that fans view as being important and the things that they're doing as important. I think it's done wonders for Cody Rhodes, um, use, using him like that. And AEW doesn't use anyone else like that. MJF, maybe sometimes, but really it's like they have one segment and that's it. And if collision is going to be the punk show and punk is going to be the really main driving force for interest in the show, the fact that they're using them in a similar way to, to, I think WWE uses its top stars is notable. And I think it's a more effective way. And it gives, we know that CM Punk is the biggest star in AEW. And I think this is, Uh, Just kind of hammering home that they view him as a different level star than anyone else in AEW, because he's presented in this specific way, in a way that even someone like a Kenny Omega is not.
1: I mean, the the, the structure of this show, in terms of how it was laid out, it opened with a live promo. I mean, last night's collision did not do that. Yes, I know they did the Saturday Night Main Event style cold open promo, but it was not a have a big star come out, get in the ring, and talk for 10 to 15 minutes. Um, that's what the first collision was. I mean, this is something that WWE does a lot in, in how they structure shows, especially in the Vince, Vince McMahon era, maybe less so since Vince has been less involved, although we know he was quite involved this, this past week. Um, but that's, it's definitely a pattern of WWE. To, you got to gotta set the table, pal, and, and then have a main event with
2: that same star or set of stars. Was it advertised yeah. like that CM Punk was going to lead off the show with a promo? Yes. Well, you will okay. hear from CM Punk was ab- was
1: advertised okay. on the Dynamite prior. All right.
3: Yeah, and I don't necessarily think it has to, has to be like a structure from you have to start with the promo and then end with the main event. I just think it's the way you present two separate quarter hours based built around one guy, basically. I know in the main event there's other people wrestling, but it's Punk anchoring. Kind of two separate quarter hours as opposed to, okay, here's a 20 minute window and this is when we're going to do, you know, the elite stuff. And oh, here's another 15 minute window. That's when Chris Jericho is going to do his segment. And that's kind of the extent of what you hear from people as opposed to WWE. They tend to sprinkle in their top stars more throughout the show. And I think that's how Collision is using punk. I do think that Collision from a, like a layout standpoint is going to look very similar to Dynamite. Uh, I can already see like, uh, the partisan narrative between people who have picked a side between the elite versus CM Punk and, um, you know, dynamite versus collision. And which side people the are going to argue that, on? Oh, collision. Well, people are going to argue collision so different because, you know, supposedly punk has a creative role in it. And it's like collision is going to be a different show because it's the punk show. And it's going to look very different than dynamite. and It's going to appeal to different fans. Uh, To me, they're they're the same show because they're being run by the same person and Tony Khan. But we'll see, you know, as we get more data from week to week, if there really is any significant difference between the two shows.
1: I will say from having watched both collisions and, you know, I I pay attention to Dynamite. I usually
3: have it on mute.
1: Uh, But I think it's it's a relief for my personal taste to watch an AEW show that's not littered with backstage segments where people are constantly interrupting each other. There's less of that on, on collision so far, two episodes in there's less like somebody's backstage for a promo. Oh wait, they get interrupted because you got to set got to do an angle for every single match. Thus making all angles feel all the more meaningless. But anyway, um, the numbers. So I, I, I'm trying to figure out, you know, trying to think about what's the, the second collision going to do. Second collision has happened. We don't know what the rating is. <clears throat> I'm sure there are there are fast nationals out there in the media industry that are being looked at this morning, but not 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 this this media industry, not the wrestling media. Um, so to try to predict what the second collision might do, I looked at what did the second dynamite do? What did the third rampage do? Which was after the second rampage, which was the CM Punk debut. Um, and the answer is the second. Dynamite was down 28% from the first one, the second ramp the third rampage was down thirty-six percent from from the uh, the, the second ra- I'm sorry, the third rampage was down thirty-six percent from the second rampage. So if this second collision was down thirty-six percent, it would put this, this second collision at five hundred and twenty-two thousand viewers, it would put it at around a point two one uh PT and forty-nine rating. So I think that's probably too hard. That's I don't my vibes. That's why we have the vibe slide here. My vibe, my my Bible meter tells me I don't think we're going to see as pre- precipitous a fall for the second collision as we did for the sec the third rampage um, in part because the debut of punk was such a big deal. The return of punk. It was a big deal, but it's not certainly not the peak that that moment was, right? So I think, I don't know, I put out the poll here. Um, I guess I feel feel like jumping to this right now, but I put out the poll here, and and the plurality of people think that the 1849 rating for the second collision is going to be somewhere in between 0.26 and 0.29. And I think I agree with that. Does that sound right?
3: I agree with it as well, although I'm weary of the historical undershooting of these polls that I should be probably... It's going to be even better than ...or higher. I don't know if it's going to be better, but it seems like people are universally pessimistic in terms of AEW business. I don't think it's going to be a point three zero or
1: higher, though, which is the next option. I,
3: I don't. That seems unrealistic, right? It seems like point six, point two six to point two nine seems right. I guess the argument for it to be higher would be... uh. Is there less of a novelty factor, like the first Dynamite, right? Huge novelty factor, right? People tuning in just to see what what this was going to be like. That be the first, or I guess the second rampage, right? Massive novelty factor. CM Punk was trying to wrestling almost a decade. Uh, Clint, okay, the novelty factor was it's a new show for AEW. And CM Punk is coming back, and he kind of had a controversial. he was pretty controversial, but probably less of a novelty factor than either the debut Dynamite or CM Punk's return to pro wrestling um, for the second episode of Rampage. So in that sense, you could tell me that Collision has maybe a more stable uh, debut that could be repeated for episode two. I would also add that you do have the, there was the, you know, a go home show for Forbidden Door. I think that there's some momentum there. There's some extra interest that you wouldn't see in maybe a more typical episode of Dynamite or Collision. Obviously, the Dynamite rating this past week was very good. Um, there's some more momentum for the promotion. Uh, I feel like it could be followed up on. Um, you know, what CM Punk said during his promo during Collision, I think was the talk of, of, Wrestling in a lot of cases and stuff, you know, he said the line about counterfeit bucks and things like that. People would be interested in tuning in and seeing what he's going to do this week. Um, that's all the case for the rating to be very similar. I, again, I see 0.26 to 0.29 seems right, but historically people have kind of undershot uh, what AEW is capable of doing. So 0.30 seems unrealistic, but I can't say I'd be super duper shocked if they hit it again.
1: Yeah, I, I think. I mean, the, the big question is what this show does a couple months from now on average, what's delivering on a consistent basis. Um, just look at what the competition was on Saturday night briefly. Um, it's not that strong. I mean, we, there's USFL f- football on NBC last night. There's baseball uh, on Fox. There's more men's college world series and not that much else to speak of here. Um, if we look at what was... In most of the what was the baseball game? Most of the country is getting Houston Astros versus LA Dodgers. Some of the country getting Minnesota Twins versus Detroit Tigers. Um, so I don't see that as huge competition. Uh, on the media call, which we'll talk about more, but I do want, do want to touch on the, the, so there was a little bit of ratings talk on the media call with Tony Khan on Thursday, where he was being asked, you know, what? I think I have it in the notes here. Uh, he did, he said, "I do know that past performance in the time slot would be a good comp." So the, you know the the question is what's a, what's a good enough rating for dynamite? And Tony is saying, well, compare it to what that time slot normally does. And I read that to mean it's got to do better than that. Um, so what does that time slot normally do? I think the primary primary thing to to compare it to is not the sports in the time slot, uh, which it's going to be preempted for, which have which has been everything from NBA conference finals. Between the Celtics and the Heat, I forget how that one ended, where that did 8.7 million viewers, did a point, it did a 2.96, 18-49 rating, huge rating, it's not going to do anything near that, and that's why Collision is going to be preempted by NBA, by NHL Stanley Cup Finals, which are going to deliver better than Collision is going to deliver. Uh, there's a little bit of college basketball in here during March Madness, there's even some soccer here, which maybe it wouldn't be preempted for, because it only did a one only did a point one five. I don't know though. Could still see soccer pushing collision out. Uh, but anyway, all star game. There, all these, all was, these.
3: There was soccer last night too. I don't believe the game was until, I think it started at ten p.m.
1: Was it on after collision? Because there was. Uh, I don't know was, what network it was on. They were it playing rush hour right after Jamaica. collision last night. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, what I what I want to ask is, so what what normally airs when there's not special occasion sports here. Well, it's movies. And do we have any data for what those movies deliver at eight o'clock on Saturday night? We have a few. So through spoiler TV, it used to be ratings, Ryan, but now it's spoiler TV. We do get the weekly top 200 reruns. So we don't have every single rerun to look at here, but we do have those that have finished in the weekly top 200. So, so far this year, there are three instances of Saturday night, eight o'clock, movies on TNT that finished in the weekly top 200. We have three instances of that. What did they do in the demo? They did a point one two, or they did a point one three. So that's the basement for what this show, if the show does not deliver better than that, it's bad news. I would think, uh, it's got to deliver better than that. So that's what I think is, that's the bar that they have to clear
3: by a decent margin. Um, that's pretty low realistically. Cause if we look at like what rampage does at 10 o'clock on a Friday night, they do a a little bit less in the the key demo most, but right around that number in the key demo. And you would think that collision, which is airing in primetime as opposed to at 10 p.m. and has clearly more star power and are dedicated towards it, at least at first, should be able to, it should definitely be clearing out, you know, a 0.12. And those are kind of outliers too for a movie, right? Most of the weeks it doesn't hit that, you know, 0.2, 0.12. It doesn't hit the top 200.
1: I would think it's the case that Usually, if, if we had every data point of what the movies are doing on Saturday night in prime time, it's on average probably a little bit less than this even. Um, because um, unless the weeks that it didn't make it are, are just elevated across the board in the top 200, you know, but that, that's likely not the case. I could look and, you know, sort of verify that, but I did not look, but it's probably going to be this or a little bit lower. Right. Um, so, so I was doing some thinking last night. And by the way, if, if you hate ratings talk, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. But if you hate ratings talk, um, and you think it's totally pointless and inconsequential, again, I don't know why you're listening to this this podcast. But this is this is more consequential ratings news this week and the weeks to come than than really at almost any time. It's 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 on that level the the most important and crucial time for for ratings numbers that I think are meaningful. This this is up there with the best of them. Um, because wherever this show settles, and I get, and I, you know, I I totally grant that week one, week two don't tell us a lot. It tells us what the peak is that it's going to fall down from. But the big story is, in terms of economics, is where collision ends up. What does collision deliver on a regular basis? Because what collision delivers on a regular basis, if I'm a WBD executive, I'm going to weigh heavily into how I negotiate with AEW. For the next tv rights deal because what so i'm so i'm doing a bunch of math here and basically weighing out how various pessimistic moderate and optimistic outcomes could weigh into how AEW's tv rights fees are valued so these tv rights fees are going to be valued by ratings but also by time spent How much viewer time is AEW helping WBD deliver? Um, And we do the math, and we we come out to, you know, it's either going to be something like 70 million hours on an annual basis, 78 million hours on an annual basis, or 84 million hours on an annual basis. And this is extrapolated from the, the rating. So the three scenarios I've got here is, let's say, collision ends up, delivering on a regular basis by like September, October, December delivering about a 0.14. That would be pretty bad, right? Because that's only at the level of the movies, just slightly above what the movies are doing. That would be pretty bad. <laughs> I think. Uh, and then I, I did a more, what I consider to be a more moderate uh, outcome, which is where collision is delivering on a regular basis, a point two zero in the demo 0.20. And then I have a more optimistic outcome where they're delivering a 0.24. So I don't think that that would exceed my expectations if it's doing a 0.24. I think that's on the high end of the realm of possibility. So let's call that the optimistic outcome. And the moderate outcome, 0.20, and the pessimistic outcome, a 0.14. And then we can extrapolate from that three additional scenarios for each case where you, you've got a, a pessimistic multiplier on their TV rights fees, a moderate multiplier and an optimistic multiplier. Basically, that's just uh, the pessimistic outcome is that on a viewer per hour basis, WBD says we're only going to pay you exactly to the rate that we're paying you now, which is about a dollar per viewer hour. Um, I'm going to assume that AEW is now getting about $75 million on an annual basis for the additional collision uh, as a weekly program, we know that they were getting about $44 million on an annual basis. Um, I've said at least 70. So let's say it's now about 75. So if collision doesn't do that, well, they're, they're not going to get a raise perhaps, or they're going to get a very small raise perhaps. Uh, but if it's, you know, sort of this moderate outcome, I can see them getting as much as $168 million on an average annual basis. Um, or if the multiplier is really nice, 180, um, and then we have on the really high end here, values over $200 million average basis, which over the course of five years will be over a billion dollars, one bill fill. So what I'm saying here is where this rating ends up has um, ramifications in the tens of millions of dollars, and over the course of many years, hundreds of millions of dollars. There's, there's a, a, a wide spectrum of possible outcomes here that could help AEW make you know, hundreds of millions of dollars a year, or it could result in them not making that much more money on an a- annual basis than they are currently. So this is meaningful wrestling ratings discourse.
3: Are you suggesting that there's non-meaningful ratings, wrestling ratings discourse?
1: <sighs> not as meaningful as this. This is more meaningful. I mean, like, what... Because there's so much unknown here, I guess. Nobody has good reason to have a strong opinion about what this show is going to deliver on a regular basis it's really going to be determined by how important this show is and feels to viewers and how, how much people are, are really tuning in there, there's a, a a lot of unknown and a, and a lot of impressions with viewers that have to be made here
3: and now is the the time these next few months before we hit the fall is the time when collision is probably going to stand to do the best from a competition standpoint mm you know, outside of baseball, there's really not going to be any live sports competition most Saturdays running head-to-head. When the fall hits, you'll end up with college football, which I think is going to be a totally different ball game for a collision. That's, you know, a ratings monster. It's going to be very difficult for collision if they're running head-to-head against prime time college football games on on ESPN or even the CBS game spilling into that window. Um, So, and and that's a critical time. And if we talk about like this discourse that's probably not meaningless or is probably as meaningless the 0.33 rating the debut rating that collision is now going to be consistently compared to forever if it doesn't hit the 0.33 people wonder what happened to the 860,000 yeah,
1: but those, those people don't matter we're, we're talking about things that matter right but i'm
3: pointing way. out like in the sense of even your optimistic number here is a 0.24 which would be yes significantly less than that and will they be maintaining a 0.24 like what time period are we talking about this are we talking about over the next two or three months before we get college football season are i we guess talking a, about the end of the year
1: practically speaking at whatever point a tv deal is being agreed to which could be any, any time between i would say late summer and i don't know in the middle of next year
3: right and logically the people at Warner Bros. Discovery it would anticipate the rating to be lower during college football season when you're facing that level of competition, the same way that everyone kind of expects that Monday Night Raw's ratings go down during Monday Night Football season, and it's not right. necessarily held against them, and people aren't necessarily running for cover thinking, oh, my God, what's going wrong when it's something that happens every year? And you could probably anticipate that happening for Collision as well.
1: Um. So, yeah, I think... It's you. You expect college football to be on every Saturday night during football season. It, it um, will be. On, it's
3: not a particularly Fox, long. Right. It's not a particularly ESPN long. ESPN as well.
2: Yes, there can
1: be two I games going I, on at
3: once. I believe so. ESPN or ABC typically will have the big, you know, matchup that will air on Saturday nights. There, it might have been changed because I know the SEC deal is is expiring, but I'm not sure if it kicks in at this year. Typically, the biggest game is also like a 4 o'clock or 3.30 game on CBS, which could conceivably, um, if it starts, I don't know if it starts a little later or goes into overtime, could spill into the collision window as well, um, perhaps. Um, but the other thing about cultural ball is that it is really not a particularly long uh, season in the sense of, we're talking about maybe like 13 weeks, you know, from late August through mid-November, realistically as like providing competition. So it's really only a few handful of months, but I expect the collision rating to really be impacted by that because that is a, a level of head to head sports competition that they're not going to face really at any other time, except for, you know, the, the NFL games that start rolling out on Saturday, which again, will also be a factor uh, in the winter months yeah. for a few weeks.
1: So I, I guess the, the point that I'm trying to make is, you know, we, we know what dynamite is delivering, it may slide here or there. It may, may rise here and there, but we know it's going to deliver for now somewhere between like a 0.26 and a 0.34 something like that. And that it's going to deliver in that range on a regular basis. It may diminish over time with the, the, the weakness of, of linear TV, but we know what it's going to deliver. We kind of know what rampage is delivering at this point. But what, cl- what collision is, is, is a black box. And we're going to discover that over the, over the course of the next few months, what what it's really capable of. Um, and that's going to be hugely determinative to what the value of AW programming is, because we kind of know what Dynamite's value is. We kind of know what Rampage's value is, which is a lot less, but we don't know what the value of collision is. And if, if you're WBD... It makes a lot of sense for, for it not to be true that you already committed to a TV deal with the addition of Collision because you don't know what the value that it's capable of delivering is. You're going to know what it is after a few months here, or maybe you can kind of assume what it's going to be even at, at that point based on what you expect the hit from college football to be. Um. So and and same for WWE. It, at least in the case of ron smackdown we kind of know what ron smackdown are doing they're doing better than they were last year but we kind of know where they're gonna land nxt is being souped up here to do better ratings than than it's done before um but we have a general base we know as as a base what that show is going to do just the unknown with within a much wider range i would say do we know what, what collision is going to do at this point um and we will learn and in, in, with with great excitement what the numbers will be as the weeks move on. So, um, moving on. Again, if you want to do a super chat or a comment, feel free to if you're watching and listening live on YouTube. Um, Dynamite, this week, did the same rating as Collision. 0.33 in the demo. Did 900 and lot more more viewers in total. Older viewers by median. 902,000 viewers. 902,000 viewers. No million? Yeah. 0.33 in the demo. Um, this was driven overwhelmingly by older viewers in the demo. The younger half of the demo, 18 to 34, was actually slightly down by a few percent, single digits as a percent, it was down. But in that older half, 35 to 49, me and Gullo, we were tuning in in greater numbers, uh, people of our age. The Phil demographic. (laughs) It kind of is, isn't it? Would you say yeah. that, that that is the CM Punk demographic—the people who I don't know—they're they're now between the ages of thirty-five and forty-nine, and they were what? They were the more of a prime age for CM Punk's run in WWE.
2: Yeah, I mean, when he shows up at ECW in '06, so I'm thirty. I'm going to be thirty-six, and in in '06, I was like twenty. Or no, yeah, no, I was eighteen, nineteen years old. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. So. Okay,
3: so.
1: I don't know if there's more to analyze there, but that's, that's, Dynamite did a better rating than it's been doing in the last few weeks. This was its best rating, I believe, actually, since February in the demo, in the demo. This was not a spectacular number uh, in total viewership, but it was much better than usual in the demo for Dynamite. Um, NXT. All right. Seth Rollins. Is he a draw? Is Seth Rollins a draw? Nobody, as we know, nobody in wrestling is a draw, especially not in WWE. Well, we're going to put it to the test on Tuesday night on the USA Network, eight o'clock p.m. Eastern, against Braun Breaker, NXT on Tuesday night, seven hundred and seventy-three thousand viewers, which is its biggest audience in more than two years. You have to go back to April twenty twenty-one, so just after the Wednesday Night War ended, to find a rating, an audience that is as big on average as this one was. Uh, if you want to look at the demo, point two three. It's been since the Halloween Havoc episode in October 2020. October 2020 was the last time NXT did a demo that was this big. Number two in the demo for Tuesday. Get this. NXT has never, never ranked as highly as number two in the demo on its night. Ever. So big rating here. Um, It was up in demos. We have it on the screen here across the board. I mean, men were up. Men in the demo were up the highest among the demos we're listening here uh listening here so but was it really Seth Rollins I mean there was a lot on this show it could have been Dana Brooke and Cora Jade it could have been Wesley and Tyler Bate it could have been Chase U but the qu- quarter hours tell us that that this audience peaked at the end um NXT unlike all the other shows has an overrun the overrun varies in how long it is it's always under 15 minutes just about uh this was an eight minute overrun this week which averaged across those eight minutes, nine hundred and fifty thousand viewers. Nine hundred and fifty thousand viewers. In the demo, it averaged a point two nine across those eight minutes. Um, the quarter hour eight, so the last qu- last full quarter hour of the show grew the audience fifteen percent. Grew the audience seventeen percent uh, in the demo for the Seth Rollins versus Braun Breaker match. Um, so, as far as testing whether Seth Rollins can at least for one week pop a big rating for NXT. The
3: answer is absolutely yes. Will we be pointing at the, will people be pointing at this one week of NXT ratings when Seth Rollins Hall of Fame discussions start? I'm I ready. Seth Rollins was in fact a draw. Remember when he popped that big quarter hour on NXT? I'm ready. Um, so I don't I think I don't expect for Seth Rollins to be on NXT every week, but I do think that this is a really useful data point for WWE In terms of what they could do with NXT in the sense of, if they wanted to, if they chose to do so, they could incorporate more star power onto NXT, they could intertwine some level of NXT stories onto a Raw or a SmackDown, like we saw Braun Breaker was on Raw this week, and they promoted, you know, Seth Rollins is going to wrestle him on NXT tomorrow night, which probably led to more people tuning in to NXT, obviously. Um, but it shows that WWE has the capacity to, we can put some top stars on NXT and it can finish number two in the night. Um, that is something that WWE can do if they choose to do so. Would it be diminishing returns if you did it every week? Probably. But it does show that those tools are at WWE's disposal, which maybe wasn't the case. Because if you go back to the Wednesday Night War era, there was a time where... WWE did have a lot of main roster stars coming down and wrestling people on NXT famously Charlotte won the NXT women's championship and was down there every week. And the return on those stars going to NXT was relatively minimal, if I recall correctly. Um, and that's not the case now, you you can definitely see, you know, there's a f- little bit more of a main roster influence on NXT over the last month or so in ratings have been up. And obviously this was the big one. Seth Rollins, by far the biggest star, um, that they've done that with coming into NXT wrestling, you know, a young guy who's kind of presented as NXT's ace in Braun Breaker. And you see the results, which is, you know, a very healthy jump in the in the 18 to 49.
1: And why are they souping up NXT to the extent that they are popping these ratings for NXT with people like Seth Rollins? Does anyone have any the, theories why this is happening right now? Uh, media rights? Meteorites media fees. When, when do the NXT meteorites fees expire? The current deal for NXT? When does that expire?
2: That's this year, right? This like
1: September, this, fall? this September or October sometime in this fall, these, these, this deal
3: is expiring very soon. Um, in the next few months. Mm-hmm. So in, in media interviews and calls and such, Nick Khan has hyped up the idea that NXT is a valuable property. They view it as a third brand, just like Raw and Smackdown. Um, so there's obviously a focus on making NXT feel more important, obviously, and trying to juice the ratings by, by moving some top stars and having them have matches on there. And the returns have been successful. I think long-term, what does that mean for NXT? What does that mean for if they get a, a, a bigger television deal? Will they be forced to kind of commit more star power at NXT in the future? Um, is it going to revert back to what it was before, which is less focused on developmental and more trying to focus on just presenting a really strong product that people are going to be invested in um is unclear but obviously the attempt is right now to make nxt feel as important as relevant as it possibly can
1: i think the big question this fall is whether we learn that nxt has been simply extended for a year so that it becomes coterminous with raw and smackdown Mm -hmm. rights which are expiring
3: next year fall which is also kind of VMO for WWE, right, if you require their next ATV rights, were also extended to, right. as you said, coterminously expire at the same time as the Ron SmackDown rights. So they kind of want to put this bundle together all in all at once, even if they do end up selling them to different bidders.
1: Yeah, it, it's probably a question of just what what gives Nick Khan and his team the best leverage to pull the, the best deal for Ron SmackDown rights. Um, is it... Does somebody offer them such a good deal for NXT rights that that it's worth committing, or it is does extending it to one year give them additional leverage to make a better Raw and SmackDown deal? Yeah. Um, and
3: Brandon, what is your suspicion about what WWE is being paid for NXT on USA right now?
1: Somewhere I would, if I were to guess, like fifteen million average annual value, something like that, maybe ten. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: pretty small relative, obviously, relative to.
1: Yeah, if if we I was doing the math last night like if we valued it at the rate that dynamite is being valued at it would end up being something like 20 15 20 I think. Um I just don't know because the the partnership is already there with USA and obviously with the Peacock content. So and the ratings up until lately have not been much stronger than what reruns what like Law and Order does in in that time slot.
3: And that's a very interesting data point in the sense of up until about a month ago that NXT's ratings to USA were not that different than what reruns were doing. But in the last month, that's obviously changed. Um, The fact that they could get a, you know, USA up to number two on Tuesday nights um, this past week is, you know, probably pretty alluring in the sense to USA in the sense of what kind of content can we have that will draw ratings and make our, our, our our cable station stronger. Um, It's relevant that in the last month they've seen NXT maybe go from a kind of a net neutral assets in terms of what it would do versus uh, running a rerun or something like that to something that is, would do significantly better than your typical rerun. And can that number be sustained uh, over the next few months or could it even be increased? Um, and then you you f- f- if I'm see, USA, you know, I, I want
1: to have discussions all the time, but there'll be about like, so it's doing great ratings. Wow. This is awesome. We love you. Okay. But is, is this how it's going to be a year from now, two years from now? Convince me of that.
3: If I was USA, I'd also ask the question of why did you change the formula of NXT a couple of years ago to basically remove all identifiable star power from the show and focus on all new wrestlers that often lack experience, and we saw the you know the ratings go down. Uh, I would ask that question if you know you clearly have the capacity to do more with NXT. Why did we focus? I don't because if I if I'm USA or NBCU, I don't really care that NXT is a developmental project. Like I don't care about WWE needing to get these guys reps on television, really. I'm interested in what kind of ratings they can provide. And they kind of intentionally sabotaged the star power of NXT a couple of years ago when they relaunched to NXT 2.0. And I would probably want to know, why did you do this if your intention was to make it a third brand like you're telling me you're supposed to be now?
1: And I think the answer is because Vince and people who think like Vince know best and they thought that... The old black and gold at that time vision of, of wrestling where it's, you know, you're relying on smaller people who are work rate wrestlers, that's not what's really going to draw and feed the main roster well. What's going to feed the main roster better is people that we can use as blank slates and, and draft from – recruit from various sporting fields and turn them into our vision of what a sports entertainer is. And right, that, but the, that theory was not was not uh, supported in the last couple of years.
3: Right. And they were, but they, but when as ratings have gone up over the last month or so, they've really reverted back to what NXT used to be, which would be, which is heavily focused on wrestlers who are, were trained outside of the performance center. A lot of the times it's smaller wrestlers. Carmelo Hayes is their, is their champion at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it's not, it seems like NXT over the last month or so, uh, especially if you go back and look at that takeover card um, from last month. Is is much closer to the you know kind of super indie promotion than it is the performance center promotion in terms of what talent is being highlighted. It's you know Carmelo Hayes is the champion obviously, but you also have wrestlers like Ilya Dragunov and Nathan Frazier and Tyler Bay, uh in these. Well, very well they all came through the performance center though,
1: so they're all we trainees.
3: Right. Well, you could have said that back during the you know Johnny Gargano and uh, Adam Cole days too.
1: Yeah, same for that too. Uh, we, we we trained them. Right. They went to the performance but side. But
3: obviously the philosophy has is, is, is flip-flogged back and forth. And I think in WWE's mind, the you know pushing the, the ex-college athletes and the, the true performance center trainees is probably a better investment in the sense of NXT as a developmental project. Yeah. But that has to be balanced with NXT, a business entity, and something that you can sell television to. I, I would um, conclude
1: this. It's 10 years since... The Performance Center opened in July 2013. My opinion is that there seems to be something institutionally in the way of WWE's Performance Center being able to produce wrestlers who have outstanding value to WWE based on the, the resources that you you have and all the advantages that you have by being WWE. I think it's greatly underperformed in delivering wrestlers versus the value that they've gotten out of people who had wrestling experience prior to coming to WWE. And my conclusion would be that maybe there's something about what we do that just doesn't make us the best creator of talent. Now that's not to say that we should stop training people altogether and stop recruiting athletes and all that, but to acknowledge, understand and, and work with the fact that maybe there's something about our institution that maybe we can improve or maybe we can supplement to deal with the fact that there's that, that we're just not the best at creating talent from scratch all the time and that there's a lot of other talent that we can pull in and, and get value out of.
3: And even if you look at the last... So NXT 2.0, when did they launch that? Was that last year or was that two years ago?
1: September 2, 2021.
3: So we're looking at close to two years, like a little bit more than 18 months since that has happened. On the main roster right now, if you look at the main roster... Which one of those, like, NXT 2.0 names that they, you know, trained in the Performance Center and started pushing NXT 2.0, who, who is having an impact on the main roster right now? That would be one of those people. Austin Theory. Right, but you know the Theory's not one of those guys.
1: Uh, but but if, as, as far as anybody who's not paying attention to wrestling, which is the majority of the people I think that, that their business partners are, are are and
3: they're, you know what I mean? They, they will well, talk well, the I'm moving, I'm moving past the business part. I'm just thinking. You want to talk mind. real? I'm talking about like a talent valuation standpoint. You you spent 18 months dedicated to this NXT 2.0 model of training the superstars for tomorrow. And if I look at the main roster right now, who is making an impact on the main roster that is a true performance center trainee that you know emerged over the last 18 months on NXT 2.0 and is now on the main roster?
1: Over the last 18 months, I don't know. I mean Bianca Belair, but you're but that's probably that's, no, that's before before the, the, yeah, yeah. before
3: the deadline you're trying to talk about um. Right, I think there's a a small amount of people that are still in NXT that I would say WWE is pretty high on. I would say Braun Breaker, I would say um, Tiffany Stratton, I would say maybe the Creed Brothers. And I think those people will continue to be...
1: Gunther maybe... But, you know, we, I, we'd
2: all agree Gunther was trying tremendously talented before he ever step, set foot in WWE. Yeah. I mean, same thing with L.A. Knight. He might have been there in a little bit of the 2.0 right. no, no, ring. No, no, no. Okay. I'm talking yeah.
3: about, like, people that were actually yeah. trained by the force. But did there.
2: they know how to look yeah. in the camera and, and work for the camera, mm-hmm. though? I think Pretty Deadly will become a big deal for them. But that's still fairly new. Okay.
3: Right. I'm just thinking of people who... What are my results 18 months after we started this experiment of NXT 2.0? 2, 2. where What are the results so far? Um and I would say, look at the main roster, who is making influence, influence in the main roster right now. I mean, I'm trying to think of anyone who's even been called up. It's probably pretty limited. You could say like someone like Zoe Stark, who didn't have a ton of indie experience before coming to WWE, but was around the indie Toxic scene Toxic Attraction got called up. Right, but those are veteran wrestlers, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. All three of them, though? No, the, the one that... Mandy Rose isn't the with the company anymore. Well, and yeah. Gigi Dolan is... Like
2: I said... So, What I just brought up, I think Pretty Deadly is the only other really example, probably that didn't have they was they didn't have experience before. I don't think did they. Who anyway? Oh, the tag team Pretty Deadly. Oh,
3: Pretty Deadly. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, if there's also a level of like, there's a difference between a guy like you know a Walter level wrestler signing for WWE or LA Knight who you mentioned, like versus you know someone who has uh, maybe a years of, of, of scattered indie appearances and then got signed by WWE.
1: So as, as a data observation, I want to point out here what I've – I'm just going to affirm my own narrative over the last couple of years. It's just saying that quarter hours are interesting. They're often misleading, especially when it's not remarkably – wow, look at – I mean, this, this quarter hour trend that we see here in NXT and the quarter hour trend that we're going to talk about in a minute with SmackDown, these are truly meaningful, undeniable changes in the quarter hours across the show that I have to attribute to the content. Now, what's happening on, on a lot of times – uh, especially with the dynamite quarter hours that people hyper-analyze, what, what we're seeing is differences that I don't find to be particularly meaningful. In the alternative, I would suggest looking at the these charts that I put in the TV ratings reports every every TV show that look at everything by segment. And yes, YouTube doesn't draw a lot of money, but I think it's, it's a more reliable indicator of interest than quarter hours often are. My point being here that, look, the quarter hours clearly – Reflect that the Seth Rollins and Braun Breaker match did well. We see that corroborated in the in the YouTube data here, where the most viewed YouTube clip for NXT last Tuesday by far is Rollins versus Breaker, and then secondarily Hayes saves Rollins from a Balor attack, which is the post match angle, and then even after that, Seth Seth freaking Rollins makes his return to NXT another video, which is by far more viewed than the others. So if you're looking to see who's a draw, which is one of the most important questions that that we can ask in our entire lives. YouTube videos, I think, tell us a more reliable story than the quarter hours do. Anyway, we're reporting quarter hours and we're reporting YouTube views.
0: This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of seen as five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Shyster. And putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Uh, every week.
1: Now, here's Roman Reigns looking into the camera directly at Jesse Collins saying, You at home, acknowledge me. Roman Reigns. Drew another strong quarter hour. And, and the Usos. The Usos did. I don't believe Sami Zayn was, was a part of this angle. Last, this is two, now two Fridays ago, June 16th. This is the Usos turning, I guess, on Roman Reigns as well as Solo Sokoa. Uh, the final quarter hour grew the audience 19% in total, 16% in the demo. This show, which averaged 2.4 million viewers, peaked at almost 2.8 million. For the final 15 minutes. Uh, Another in what is becoming a preponderance of data points. Showing how strongly the bloodline angle is performing. And is corroborated by YouTube videos. That just these two videos for the Uso superkick Roman Reigns. And the decision which is Jimmy Uso making the decision to stay with his brother Jimmy. Just soaring with about 2 million views each for these two videos just soaring about everything else, which at best had 300,000 viewers below it. So just doing multiple times more views on YouTube than than the other stuff is doing. So the case for Roman Reigns being a draw continues to get fortified here. Any responses? You're muted, Jesse. You're muted, Jesse. I can't unmute you because you've muted yourself.
3: If you uh, go on the... Uh, I'm curious. I'm, this is just a general question. This is true for all... YouTube channels, if you go on, like, the WWE YouTube page um, and, like, the actual channel itself, like, a video, like, automatically starts playing, does that count as a page, uh, YouTube view? Probably counts
1: as a view. That ruins the data, doesn't it? They, they probably no, I was just, put just Roman Reigns up there at the top. You can't count it. Um, it probably no, counts,
3: yeah. I mean, it's That's ridiculous, probably ridiculous probably to suggest that that, that the um, right the data in the quarter hour, especially week to week, is so overwhelming. And look at this. this 300,000 versus 2 million. Right. Um in the sense of uh, that obviously people are interested in it. You know, it's interesting. I think the we you, you have the um, the overnights from, from Friday night. Um, it yes. appears they're going to do another strong rating, right? It's going to be down from uh, this this past week. Right. It's going to be down from the but, 16th, but, yeah, but, 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 but good still. And, and Reigns was not on the show on f- this past Friday. Um, it was more centered around, I think, like Paul Heyman and the Usos and Solo Sokoa. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, like, Week to week, Um like, I don't know when... Or I assume Reigns is probably going to be on the show next Friday because that's a go-home show. Uh, just Uh I'm sorry, I'm, I'm behind. Is there a match announced for Money in the Bank for Roman Reigns? yet?
1: They are doing uh, a... Blo- There's some the tag. It's a tag match. It's it's a yeah. Bloodline Civil
3: War, I believe, is, is how it's being built. Mm-hmm. Yes. Usos versus Reigns and Solskjaer. Right. So people are obviously... That's probably going to be... He's probably going to be on the show Friday. It'll be interesting to see... You know, Reigns' presence on Friday will, what kind of rating that will do in the sense of, we've seen it kind of, we saw you know, really good rating last two weeks. This past episode probably down going to be slightly without Reigns. What happens when he comes back? Will the rating go back up? Will it be about the same? Um, Did it peak when the Usos finally made their decision? Um, Because that's kind of the big moment in turn that people were waiting to see. Um, That's all relevant data, but obviously um, this is the, the best period of Roman Reigns' career in terms of being an identifiable draw, um, it's a huge feather, in the, and it's a huge feather in the cap for the Usos as well, who I think emotionally are kind of the pivotal characters uh, in the storyline. So, in terms of uh, their their status as a drawing act, their status as a, as a main event team that can that can really move business. Um, I don't know if you know what their kind of Hall of Fame resume is going to look like for the wrestling observer Hall of, they, of Fame, but that's this, this is a very notable. Um, Moment for them in the sense of, yeah. is Roman Reigns probably the primary factor for this business? Yes. But at the same time, the Usos are, are really pivotal players and in a lot of ways carrying a bulk of the like, emotional storytelling. And the investment is in them uh, yes. to a degree. So it's a huge you know benefit to them. And I guess Paul Heyman, I mean, as, as a character is obviously very important. Yes.
1: And you can believe that there were some people almost a year ago that were saying, some guy named Drew McIntyre should have won the title. When they were in Cardiff, do you remember this?
3: Yes. Well, he should have, but uh, that's neither here nor there, right? Um,
1: would this and, – and people have, you know, kicked and screamed about Cody not winning at WrestleMania. Is this all as successful? Is it diminished at all? Or to what degree is it diminished if Reigns had lost the title in either either case at WrestleMania or at Clash? Mm-hmm. The
3: it's kind of impossible to prove. So is it worth debating at all? all right. yeah, I, I, I heard my, you – my, my response John-
1: is it's, it's not – Yeah.
3: You and John Pollock talked about this yes. on Wednesday um, in the sense of uh, this storyline between, like, like the, the bloodline dissolving, right? Roman Reigns does not necessarily have to be champion for it to to work. And one could argue that it would actually make more storytelling sense if Roman Reigns had lost the title because it would show, you know an excuse for broader insecurities that Reigns has to emerge and to become more suspicious and jealous uh, of the Usos. Um, The fact that Roman Reigns still has the championship, largely because the Usos and I guess Solo Sakoa have continued to help him retain the title um, throws some level of logical uh, questions towards why would the Usos and Roman Reigns have this problem, but um, largely you could say that Reigns is, reigns is need to have the title the reigns's need to have both titles not 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 even just one of the titles but both he's got three titles. titles he's got three belts yeah i guess he has three titles <laughs>
1: so, he's a triple crown champion um,
3: um you know the need to have the creation of the new title for, for, for raw and things like that um one could you could easily argue that it's not necessary to the angle
1: but if Rain- but- reigns loses the title then there's no seth rollins belt to, to give and, and have him go to nxt with I, i'm being facetious sort of um If you want to participate, by the way, the Super chat, go for it. Um, Forbidden Door tonight uh, in Toronto. Um, We did have a not an earnings call, but a media call with one Tony Khan. Um, There were a few, a few items that we can talk about from the Forbidden Door media call, which happened on Thursday. Um, The the biggest one, I guess, being that there had been a report um, earlier in the week from Ariel Helwani on the MMA hour saying that, you know, it's it's. Been reported reliably that, that Bellator, and I believe Scott Coker has confirmed that Bellator is exploring a sale. Bellator is the MMA company that's currently owned by Paramount, you know, that company formerly known as Viacom CBS. Um, so they're shopping Bellator. There have been reports that PFL, Pro Fighters League, which is another MMA organization, is interested in merging with Bellator. Uh, Ariel Hawani is reporting that. The Kahn family is interested in acquiring. Has looked into it. Has looked into acquiring Bellator. Liberty Media also, he mentioned as another company that's looking into acquiring Bellator. Liberty Media is the owner of Formula One, the Atlanta Braves. Yes. Anything else remarkable?
2: Uh, I think those are the two biggest assets. There's, I okay. think, there's like some type of communications thing, but yeah.
1: Liberty One, we highly believe was it did make a bid on WWE uh, in in the strategic alternatives process, but obviously did not come away with it. Um, so Tony was asked about this on Thursday and he says, quote, I was surprised to see that report. I haven't had any conversations with them about that. So I don't know what that was about. My father, Shad, who's Shad Khan, uh, hasn't had any conversation about that either. Of course, he went on to disparage Eric Hawani, continuing his long running blood feud with Eric Hawani. Um, So that's that I guess we're not going to see a merged UFC WWE versus a merged Bellator and AEW after all, which seems like a possibility for a day or two there. Uh, So there's that other things he said there. uh, We've already got nine figure revenues. He said this when being asked about the one bill fill line. Um. He said nine figure revenue. So that, so that means $100 million. And that's consistent with like the $100 million even, very close to $100 million even, that I believe AEW generated when I did my estimate uh, for 2022. So not far over $100 million, but about $100 million is what I believe they do. He's saying comments that are consistent with that. Um, on, the, on the subject of one bill fill, so Dave wanted to know. Does this does he know something that we don't know? And this is kind of what we talked with Dave about um, on Wednesday, wondering if does punk know that there's a TV deal worth a billion dollars? I guess this would be over five years that would would be worth as much as that, that that's within their grasp. Um, and Tony said, we're growing and growing and pushing to hit that magic number that Phil referenced. This is one comment that Tony said in the course of a long response, of course, to this question. Um my my read of that comment, again, we're growing and growing and pushing to hit that magic number that Phil referenced, that that tells me that I'm sure Tony is aware of the rumors as well, of, you know, with the rumors of several weeks ago where there's, oh my God, there's a billion dollar deal worth five, you know, over five years. That's obviously not the case now, but that this comment tells me that he sees that as something that is attainable. Would you agree? Um he
3: was also asked In by Dix. Crunch, when, what's that? When the when the rumor was going around about that number, I mean, we did a lot of discussion and analysis on, is that a, a, a possible number that could exist? And I think we determined that it was something that could possibly exist. So is that a goal? So is it a realistic goal for AEW to shoot for? I would say Yes.
2: Yes. It so a, it have to be a five year deal though. Like, do you think it could be over? Like, say for example, seven years, which is a little under one forty five million a year. Yes, you know, I could so. see it
1: being. I mean, look, the the W Canada deal is ten years, so I think that. And the yeah. NFL deals are really long, right? Not that not that we should compare well, much yeah. to the NFL deal,
2: but an ACC deal I think was like fifteen years or something crazy like that. Yeah.
1: Anyway, I could see a, a wrestling deal being long and then five years.
3: And there's also additional components, such as could pay-per-views be moving to HBO Max or something like that, that could also uh, factor in how much money the, the deal is worth.
1: Right, And next-day rights for AEW currently have no owner, no one monetizing them. So that's something that could fit Fit on Max and wouldn't even have to be live, obviously, because those would be next-day rights. Um, he was asked, Bix asked him why Punk said, I'm trying to run a business here at the infamous All Out press conference in September. And, and Tony said, that's just a colloquialism. I own the business, but he's one of the top stars and he has an interest in AEW being a strong box office business. Bix followed up and said that he had messaged with Tony and, and Tony made it even clearer that Punk does not have an ownership stake in AEW. So, um, and finally, uh, Stephanie Chase asked him if there were any women in creative. Uh, he, he mentioned Madison Rain and Sarah Stock not just once not just twice not just not but, but actually 3 times he mentioned their names 3 times does that count as having 6 women if you say that you have two women involved in in coaching and in agenting does that count as having three women in creative if you say their names or i'm sorry six women in creative if you say their names 3 times i don't think so okay it was that was uh, humorous, I thought, that he, he 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 was being asked if there were women in creative and he mentioned two women who are, were working as coaches and then mentioned uh, Pat Buck and Sanjay Dutt and you might have mentioned Brian Danielson I mean, and he mentioned himself and then mentioned Sarah Stock and Madison Rain again.
3: I, f- I feel like we have a lot of questions, like a lot of discussions about AEW creative and who's in creative and who's writing the show and... I mean, in general, it it seems kind of pointless because it it does seem like like, Tony, we know, is is, for all intents and purposes, Tony is the only person who's really in creative. And then there are a lot of other people that might have some sort of level of influence. And it could be coaches. It could be the top stars, which Tony has conceded often have influence over their own programs. Um, So you could make a case that there are 50 plus people that are involved in AEW creative. Or there's only one person and it's Tony himself um, I think focusing on like who's in creative who's not in creative when you really have no idea how big each individual influence is is like a meaningless discussion
1: I think it's it's a more important question to ask as his the, the, the amount of content that AW is creating has I mean multiplied since the beginning right it's gone from being a two hour show to being having three hours of weekly content to three hours of weekly content and a ring of honor show. Now three hours of weekly content, a ring of honor show and a collision show every week where, you know, more, more output you think leads to more um, delegation. Uh, Forbidden door as of, I believe this was yesterday or this morning. Forbidden door currently has 13,000 tickets out, 13,336. They're freeing up some tickets here and there. So this is going to be a pretty, Scotia Scotiabank Arena tonight in Toronto. Um, last night for collision, about half the crowd. 6,358 was the most recent count as we sit here from WrestleTix. I don't think that's a final count. It might change a little bit. 6,358. Again, over 13,000 tonight for the pay-per-view. So that's where it is. The collision, we've got two collisions so far as live events. 9,280 for the Chicago United Center collision. 6,358 for Toronto, and the others are yet to happen, but Hamilton, 17,000, it's no longer under 1,000. It's actually, I guess, doubled since I remember looking at it when it only had 800, even 600. It's now up to 1,700, and Regina is actually lower with about 1,400, and the others, have, you know, Calgary has about 3,600, Newark has about 4,600, Greenville, 2,000, Greensboro, 3,100. So these are doing kind
3: of some of these are doing dynamite level in in the the ticket movement over the last week for the Toronto show that eventually got to probably around sixty five hundred or so was was tremendous because um, a few weeks ago I was like I can't believe where they were at like under two thousand tickets out and I was like I can't believe they're so low given that this is a the day before a major sold out pay per view events that should theoretically have a lot of fans flying in to. Who, who would want to watch this show? Um, so the fact that they got up to what I would consider a pretty strong number uh, is, is, is impressive. Um, obviously, like the Hamilton number is still very disappointing, but given that it's, they've more than doubled their ticket sales over the last week um, is valuable. I, I, I think there's a lot to kind of my original notion about why the ticket advances were so weak was that people didn't know what collision was going to be. They weren't sure if it was going to be like Rampage, which is a largely skippable show with nothing really major or important happening on it. I think so far establishing Collision as the CM Punk show and as the show that, you know, major stars are going to wrestle on and there's going to be matches and angles of consequence. They continue to do that. We'll see ticket sales continue to improve for Collision because fans are going to understand what they're going to get. And it's not going to be a, a B or a C show. It's going to be something that's just as uh, relevant as Dynamite it's a uh,
1: it's not as important as the tv ratings but it's you know we're, we're finding out what collision is is it just going to be a, a rampage level b show that's not really that important or is there really going to be another show where important things happen to the degree that
3: they happen on dynamite and they continue to be aggressive in terms of what buildings they're running in they're not running in 3,500-seat buildings. They're in some very large buildings, you know, coming up in Calgary, in Newark, in Greensboro. We're talking about, you know, NBA, NHL-sized arenas. Um, I know they announced an upcoming date for the um, – I think they're, they're going back to the Rupp Arena in Lexington, or or is it the Yum Center in, in Louisville? I know they announced a Kentucky date for collision um, later this August. But either way, they're going to be in another gigantic building. Like, they are not – running little, you know, 2000 seat theaters and stuff like that. They are anticipating collision to draw just as well as dynamite and they're running in the biggest buildings that they can find for the most part. Okay. Do you think, let me ask you this, if you want to talk about uh, the forbidden door ticket sales, do you think that forbidden door should be in a larger venue next year? A lot of that might depend on what ticket sales in general look like uh, a year from now. But do you think that given that the, the, given that they have, you know, quickly sold out, you know, your typical NBA-sized arena with both the United Center Show in Chicago and now the Scotiabank Arena, should they run a bigger venue for the next year?
1: I think about this as a thought experiment. Like, if this was, this pay-per-view tonight was at Rogers Center, Mm -hmm. how many tickets would they sold, have sold?
3: First stadium show, AW's run in North America. Obviously, the Wembley. The Wembley Show proves, at least, that people will go to a stadium show because they feel like it's special. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in a sense. So I know um,
1: this, this, this got over 13,000 out. Can it, I mean, if this was at Roger center tonight in this, this environment, this card, certainly over 20, 25, 30.
3: Mm-hmm. And what's the break even point? What is the, um, you know, would you, and, and where would you run it? I think Toronto, right. which is, this is the first pay-per-view AEW has ever run in Toronto. They've only been in the market, you know, really one time before, um, they also have a indoor, uh, arena that is not like a 75,000 seat arena, but is like a 40,000 seat arena, which is a pretty rare building. Is really looking at a few other baseball stadiums. Um, you're talking about the Rogers center. Yeah. Okay. Like kind of like you're not running, you know, the, the Mercedes Benz arena in, in Atlanta or the Louisiana Superdome or the, you know, uh, AT&T, uh, stadium in Dallas, you're running like kind of like a. Uh, if, where if you put twenty five, thirty thousand 30,000 people, it would look close to sold out as opposed to if you're running a, you know, WWE's doing SummerSlam at Ford Field, right? And that's probably going to be like half-filled or it's going to be a little bit more than half-filled based on the traditional capacity of that building and how many tickets they have out for that. Um, which is good if you're WWE and you can do that and you can sell 40,000 tickets. But I'm thinking from like an AEW perspective, you 41, have to have the right. out currently for, for SummerSlam. For SummerSlam? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In like a sixty-five to 70,000 seat building, which is, again, they've done this the last few years for SummerSlam and it's worked out fine for them. So, um, but I do think like you would have to pick the right market. Toronto is a great market for AEW um, as evidenced by the fact that they have sold 20,000 tickets over the last, they're going to do 20,000 tickets this week weekend alone um, in Toronto. Um, what would the other markets be? So let's say we've got forbidden
1: door next year, a pretty strong card, yeah, I think this is a much stronger card this year than last year. I think we would all agree on that, right? And let's say it's well, next Tony year. Khan
3: in his, uh, in his, when, well,
1: Tony Khan well, thinks everything is great at all times.
3: Well, well, I'm saying like last year, the build for the, was a mess. People didn't know what kind of matches we were going to get. Um, we didn't even know like a Volkata was going to be on the show until like the last day. There were injuries. There was uh, maybe some uh, uh, lack of um, communication between New Japan and AEW. And I think, and Tony was talking up big um, in the presser, and I think it's that he's he's being truthful in the sense of the, there's much more more of a cohesive build to this show. We've had new Japan wrestlers. When does
1: when the embargo on, on on the truth open up? About a year later,
3: <laughs> right? But we uh, we get the sense that um, he what he said that last year was the most injuries he's ever dealt with in any capacity, including his time, you know, with the Jaguars and Fulham, Fulham, which is pretty remarkable. If you're familiar with the 2019, 2020 Fulham Premier League season, uh, in terms of how bad the injury situation was for them there, it was the fact that he said that it was worse last year on forbidden door time. It's pretty impressive. But, um, he, uh, I will say there were also other
1: reasons why some new Japan talent was not available. That was not just injuries, but we'll leave it at that.
3: Right. But, um, There's a lot more questions. I mean, this this show, you know, like probably like a month ago, right? Um, Or at least early June, right? During Dominion, we got Brian Danielson versus Okada announced, and we got Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay announced. And so those are your two real marquee matches. Everything else, in a lot of cases, is going to be gravy. But, oh, even, you know, they've had, they've been able to build up those shows. Will Ospreay has been on AEW television, you know. The past two weeks, they've had more New Japan stars trickling in. Obviously, on Dynamite this week, they were all over the show. Um, so there's a lot more of a cohesive build for this show, um, and uh, it's it's done uh, you know great business from a ticket selling standpoint, and I would expect the pay per view to be pretty strong as well. Um, and as we've discussed before it feels like a special event in a way that the other four AEW pay-per-views don't because of the new Japan connection, because it's really like a dream card of mat- matches. Um, and I think that helps sell tickets. I think it helps with getting traveling fans to come to the show. It's like, if you're going to go to one AEW pay-per-view a year, you want to go to the one that feels special. And this is the one that feels unique and feels special. Uh, the Wembley stadium show will feel special and unique when it happens again this August, but if you're just looking at the calendar for Door is the one day of the year where AEW kind of does feel like they have a special event as opposed to the other pay-per-views, which are all very similar. And I think that helps sell tickets. So, um, so I guess the,
1: the, the challenge is if you're going to do Forbidden Door next year, let's say it's, a, it's an equally strong card, mm-hmm. um, equally s- strong macro environment as far as what, what the momentum is of AW and maybe the wider economy. What market do you pick to run for Door in a stadium if that's what you're going to do?
3: Mm-hmm. Well, the fact that it takes place in June helps in the sense of you're not dealing with um, cold weather uh, for some other cities that you could go into. I mean, New York would be the obvious case. Now, if you're going to New York, you're probably looking at maybe MetLife Stadium, which is a, probably a very expensive and a very big venue to, to Does fill. Does that
1: affect whether you do Arthur Ashe in September, as has been the tradition? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you not no, do not. I it? feel like
3: they just they'll they'll keep doing it. I mean, Ar- Arthur Ashe is you know two or three months removed from Forbidden Door. Um, I would say you could look at City Field, I would say in New York as a potential this venue. Is Brooklyn? It's in Queens. No, that's, that's Shea Stadium. Uh, that's
1: former Shea Stadium. It's
3: the old Shea Stadium. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, actually, I don't know where, I don't know where, where, where hmm. Citi Field is next to, uh, relative to where Shea Stadium was, but, um, I don't think it's, it's in Queens. Site, but, yeah. Um, but that's a, you know, that, that is a, a baseball stadium. You could probably easily do 30,000 people. There and obviously New York is is an awesome market given the size and its proximity to other major markets. Um,
1: Google tells me the capacity of Citi Field is forty one thousand
2: eight hundred
3: mm-hmm. for baseball. I don't know what that yes. would mean for it's a for wrestling baseball. show. I think, this, yeah.
2: the I think there was only are... one wrestling show there actually, which was that Legends of yeah. Wrestling year. Though. They did like yeah. a
3: nostalgia show, right? Was it was Goldberg on that yeah. show?
2: Yeah, yeah, he was, but he just did like a run in. I was in a similar show. That was like that in Buffalo. So was Brandon. (laughs) Actually, that was the same type of group. The the
1: show we did in Akron. Is that what you're talking about?
2: Yeah. That same type of group did the, did the show in city field. Mm -hmm. Brian Knobs told me to go out there and kill it. And I did. (laughs) Brian Knobs
3: tried to not pay me. And I told him no. (laughs) If you, uh, if you look at like other strong markets for AW, obviously Chicago is one of their strongest markets. Um, Soldier Field is a is not quite as big as like a MetLife Stadium, but obviously it would be you know a sixty thousand seat venue. Um, you could do Wrigley Field or um, whatever. Uh, Soldier Field. Not- you think
1: is Chicago not getting saturated with this stuff? Does it not make it a weaker market for I, to do this I'm thing? I'm just looking or is it at, the, the traveling audience. Just sort of yeah. offset all that.
3: I, I'm just looking at uh, who are their what are their best markets that they could go to for ticket selling purposes. Would, uh, would, would the what, West Coast be too go much of to a
1: go. risk because of? Because of yeah. the – speaking for myself, I haven't gone to – I went to Las Vegas, but I was not going to go to San Francisco for revolution because it was just more expensive for me being one of the many people who's on the east coast of the United mm-hmm. States. It just makes the, the, the travel, the barrier.
3: Right, and theoretically higher. be much – be very restrictive towards European uh, travelers as well, flying to Toronto, flying to New York, even flying to Chicago. Maybe you probably get direct flight to a lot of those markets, as opposed to man going from like you know London to LAX. And that's not going to be offset by the
1: by, by the fans traveling from Japan to go or to... Australia. Europe. Yeah,
3: I mean, I mean that's probably a small a, a small enough yeah. amount. But we're talking about the traveling fans. It's true. Going, I think one of the reasons Chicago is a consistently strong pay per view market for them is because Chicago is an unbelievably play, easy place to get to yes. um, than no by the US. Yes, right. Yeah, so it's a, like, in,
2: Chicago, Atlanta, and Houston have like the most connection so you can get right uh,
3: yeah. And Chicago is in the middle of the country. So it's not too far from the West coast, not too far from the East coast within easy driving distance to a lot of, uh, I mean, one of the reasons I think Toronto, despite it being an international market, um, is because Toronto is, is, is really strongly located, not too far from the Midwest, not too far from the East coast. Um, obviously Cheaper in international flights too. Yep. Cheap and the Toronto metro area is obviously a, a really large metro area. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're looking at like places, the fact that you could do it in the summertime makes it less restrictive. If you don't necessarily need to be in a dome, it obviously helps to be indoors from a weather perspective. But you could do a baseball stadium um, now. You're, it's during baseball season, so it has that. That's a scheduling aspect that would need to be rectified. But plenty of baseball stadiums host um, concerts and stuff during the the baseball season, so it wouldn't be impossible to get something done like that.
1: Okay, so I guess the conclusion is. It doesn't really matter what the market is if it's if, it, if you're going to draw from people out of the market in and, and that
3: I think is I think it definitely matters
1: to travel to
3: yeah I think it matters to an extent I wouldn't run it in look, there's a, a, a huge reason they have a
1: factor because you're, you're, you're relying on there's a reason from they haven't done a
3: stadium the it's a, it, there's a reason that Tony Khan owns a, a, a NFL stadium and they haven't run a, a stadium show there
1: run it in Jacksonville but
3: it's Jacksonville
1: is hard to get to. You'd have to make
3: I definitely right. have Jacksonville to make is play. not a strong market there, for. There's a
2: hotel baseball. issue too in Jacksonville.
3: Yeah, like when like the, the, the
2: Super Bowl. Bowl was there, yeah.
3: Yeah. Um so, you know, Atlanta, I mean, and we're talking big domes, I would say that you could get away with like a baseball stadium or even like an MLS, you know, a, a mid-sized stadium um that you could well, run that seats 25,000 people. What we'll about the West?
2: Coast? Now the C- the Seattle's MLS team? Did they play in the Seahawks stadium? I, I yes, can't they remember. Do. Okay, so Portland would be more what I would be thinking of. Like, but Portland. Well, you could also do safe. You could do
3: Safeco Field in Seattle, yeah. with the Mariners play. Um, that's a that has a dome. Seattle
2: could be a really good market. I mean, it'd be expensive for East Coast travelers, but
3: yeah. I mean, if you want to do West Coast, you could. Um, could they go to Montreal? Is the Olympic Stadium still open in Montreal? I have no idea. No. I
1: do have uh, – I was saying off air, I, do not, I did, was not going to be able to do ELO draft, ELO draft update, but I will. So if you, if you haven't listened uh, to an episode we did like a month or two ago, we all picked five wrestlers, the three of us picked five wrestlers who we thought would perform strongly in their ELO, which is a chess rating, would perform strongly in their ELO ratings, treating wrestling matches like chess matches in terms of the scoring. Um, we do have an update, which, yeah, it's about, about a month ago, right, because I've got this early May. So this is this is about two months ago, I guess. Anyway, um the answer, the answer is I'm still beating everybody by a wide margin, which is how we started, right? I, I have Moxley Okada, Reigns, Sheeta Shingo, Gull has Jade Cargill, who's who's gonna become inactive soon, probably. Uh yeah. Cassidy, Gunther, <laughs> Hook, Sonata, Jesse has Athena, Camille, Wardlow, Bianca Belair, Nick Aldis. Um and for people watching. Please anybody, know the you see amount of the,
3: the, the... rain on my yeah, he's on the green. I'm going to wrap the Right, You 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 also yes. suffered a
1: loss here as Wardlow Wardlow lost the title. Um, I'm guessing that's what this is. Although it should have counted on the 17th. Anyway. Um, These numbers have not been verified by an independent auditing committee. But Wardlow did clearly suffer a loss recently, probably to Luchasaurus uh, when he lost the TNT title. Um, Nick Aldis, Nick Aldis is starting to, uh, which is a Jesse wrestler, is starting to slowly gain. Um, I believe he is number one in TNA, though, or I'm sorry, Impact
2: Wrestling. Um, He's wrestling for the Impact title against Alex Shelley. I think that's soon, so it could be the champ. um, Any other
1: interesting changes here? Um, Orange Cassidy, of course, continue, Orange Cassidy was a good bet as he was, you know, continues to yeah. uh, gain in ELO score as he continues to win matches. I've got, I've got no changes in my in my score going way back here, which doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't know if the conditional this conditional form any is correct. Anyway, I'm winning by a wide margin here, so I apologize for that. Um,
3: anything else to talk about, Brady, Can you take the the the, the listeners to what your schedule is today?
1: Um. I'm going to edit this podcast and get it uploaded and ready to go for the podcast feeds. Um, I'm going to make sure I have everything I need, but it's, it's, I'm just driving. Um, but So I'll, I'll make sure I'm ready to go. I'll get in the car. I'll drive to Toronto, which will take about two hours. Um, I will go to the Forbidden Poor nearby the arena. I'm going to have to find parking, which is I've anticipated is going to cost me like $15 u.s. or something and i will you know i will park i will go to the forbidden poor probably i will go to the show um i have full disclosure i have bought a resale ticket aw will comp me but i have spent money like 50 49 on a resale ticket so that they're not giving me gifts greater than 15 dollars um i will be at the show i will probably walk around a great deal and not sit in one seat very much um then I will go to the press conference whenever that starts, probably like eleven thirty or midnight. And the press conference will probably go well over an hour. And then I will drive home, and I will anticipate being home around three or four a.m.
3: And wh- why are you doing all this, Brandon?
1: Oh, <sighs> well, it's uh, it's 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 fun to do. And uh, who are you doing it for? For for the listeners, for the, the listeners, viewers, the so subscribers want... who allow me to do this because it's not totally free to, to, to make it there. Um, I have to drive. It's not as expensive as, as flying. Um,
3: I know, but I, I want everyone to know the kind of dedication and effort Brandon is putting in for, for you, the listeners. I want you to put your finger in the air and acknowledge the effort that Brandon There's No, you got you, Brandon, you gonna need to make like the Roman Reigns like pointing at the screen to the viewer at home face because people yes. want to should be acknowledging you, but the effort that you're putting into Doing everything. Do you have to, are you working tomorrow? You I working took a day your- off from my day job tomorrow
1: because I knew that was not going to work. Um, <laughs> I, I, so I, when I went to Las Vegas, I went home and the next day, I don't know, I got home at, at like prime time hours and then I went to work the next day and that was challenging. So yeah, I you always take
2: the day off after. Yeah. <laughs>
3: so
1: I decided I'm going to take Monday off. So I do have Monday off. So right, I don't have fine. to get up early on Monday.
3: I wanted to highlight the dedication that Brandon is putting into Traveling to going to the show, he's going to be asking questions in the press yeah. conference that are he thinks are going to be pertinent towards the interests of his listeners.
1: And he suggests um, the questions for the press conference that you want to give
3: me. Here. Depends who's there, um, right? If I, I, this, if if I was interviewing, can. if I was interviewing Tony Khan, I would bring up his Paulina um, tweet where he, hmm. you know, retweeted a, a football aggregator. Who was spreading a rumor that was not true about one of his full-on players being a potential, uh, having a potential release clause in that contract? And he said, definitively, they did not have a release clause in this contract. And I'd ask him, you must see w- you know, false rumors about your wrestlers and your wrestling promotion all the time. How come you don't take it to t- social media and equivocally deny them at the same rate? Because I do think a lot of problems in AEW could be avoided if Tony did take that tactic as opposed to giving non-committal answers to any real serious questions that are asked of him in terms of personnel in terms of contract situations in terms of when we're going to see wrestlers again and things like that.
1: Yes. So if, if, if AWPR is listening now they now they know what to prep Tony for, if you can get him to hold still,
2: I think it's interesting. We're two months out. We really don't know what all In's going to be on yet. So like that, that should be a question to ask, especially that's the next big major event. Mm-hmm. So like,
3: yeah, all in. What about all out? Is supposedly still happening <laughs> yeah. in Chicago, yeah, but well, it hasn't been
2: announced We've yet. only heard from Anthony Bowens, right? He's the only one. Yeah, that said like
3: it. it's you know. M-
1: Mega Perrick did do an interview on a wrestling podcast. The name mm-hmm. escapes me go. This was a couple of months ago, but she did mention that they are. She mentioned it's sort of in passing that yeah, we're going to the UK, and and then just a week later, I'm not quoting her directly, but she said something to the effect of, "Then a week later, we're going to be back in the US for all out." So it's I have. I believe it's happening. I expect it to be in Chicago.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But I've, got a, you know, why, I've got a hotel why not and announce, booked. Why, why not announce it?
1: They, Yeah, I mean, they've usually announced the next pay-per-view right after the current pay-per-view, right? Mm-hmm. I think they've – so like I, I remember t- at the press conference for Full Gear, Tony sort of looking to Raphael Morphy and saying – basically saying, yeah, we can, we can announce the chase center for, for revolution. He was like, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> so something like that. So that's all sort right. of when that was confirmed. And
3: I guess in terms of selling tickets to all out, I'm I don't think they're particularly concerned about like, they, they feel like they can probably announce it with less of a build up towards it and still sell, you know, 10,000 tickets to the, uh, um, what's the building that they run in now? Since the old Sears trust, right? uh, No, now trust now arena, the now center. Yes. Yes, used, to center, used to be the Sears Center. Used to be the used to be like the Rosemont Horizon
1: uh center. The Now Center is is not the Rosemont Horizon. Oh, it's not. The Rosemont Horizon is no, not the Allstate yeah. arena. Yes.
3: Oh wow. Yeah. So that we're talking about a fourth arena now in Chicago.
1: Yeah. yeah. So so now is way out in, in like the suburbs in Schaumburg yeah. and All State Arena is closer to Chicago, but it's not actually in Chicago. It's in mm-hmm. Rosemont. Yeah, and the, the United Center is downtown they, they, in Chicago. But, but All Out Wind takes Wintrust is something else. Yeah, I think it's All Out takes
3: place at the All-State Arena. No. All,
1: AW has never run the All-State Arena slash Rosemont Horizon. All Out and All In both took place at, at the Now Center, also oh. known as the Sears Center. Wow.
3: I gotta get my Chicago venue straight.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm also planning... I'm planning on going to All Out for Chicago. I'm planning on going to SummerSlam Detroit. I'm planning on... This is my, my latest idea is that so all out will be in Chicago that Labor Day weekend. WBD just announced payback in Pittsburgh. So my plan is to, to drive to Pittsburgh, fly to Chicago, fly home. There'll be a rental car involved in that. So that's, that's my current plan. We'll see how that all plays out. Um, anything else? Um, once again, if you are not a subscriber yet to patreon.com slash if you want to listen to this podcast every single week, Subscribe to Patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. You will get to continue to listen to this podcast every single week in both audio and video. It will not be available to free listeners any more than one week a month uh, beginning July 9th. So we will be back for everybody for free on YouTube on the WrestleNomics podcast feed. But this is the last episode that is of WrestleNomics Radio that is on the post-wrestling feed Pollock and Thurston continues to be widest possible distribution for everybody on both post wrestling on Russellomics going forward. So that's what's happening there. Thank you all for listening. Um, Talk to you next time. I'll I'll be at the press conference. Maybe you'll, you'll hear me there, but otherwise I'll be back with John Pollock next week. I guess I'll say we're, we're going to talk to Mike straw. That is our current plan to talk to Mike straw, who is a video game reporter um, also from Buffalo And long time friend of mine. Yeah, Mike Straw, Good guy. there, There you go. And this will be just after AW Fight Forever has been released. So he will have played the game by then and we will discuss it and whatever that means for AW and wrestling business. Talk to you then.